When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, it's been challenging too, obviously, with the plans that they've come set. Um, I felt like battled through it today for periods and then um, was able to try to put some pressure back on them at the end there. So would I ideally like to have still been added a couple more? But I feel like we're in a, we're in a position where we've got an opportunity to win a test match. So pleased to contribute. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. That was Travis Head talking about his innings for Australia overnight. And if you're just waking up, the score is England need a further 224 runs with 10 wickets in hand to win the third test. Australia set them 251 to win. Hi, Menas. I'm joined by old friend of the podcast, cricket journalist Gav Joshi. Gav, wow, day four shaping up to be another thriller. Yeah, it certainly is. It's going to be Sunday night in Australia. I think some people might even plan a sickie um, as we're recording the podcast coming up <laughs> for a reason to stay at home. And it might be a late night and um, let's hope for an Australian victory. But look, I think it's been a fascinating series. And I think it's going to be about the team that's going to be able to seize that right moment that's going to go on to win this test match. But, geez, I mean, look, I think the whole of Australia is going to be tuning in at 8 p.m. Australian time, and it's going to be a really epic Ashes test match, I think. Definitely. We'll get into the details of day three, but I think day four a a little bit depends on the weather. Now, we saw on day three that when Australia was batting and the clouds were ahead, overhead, it was swinging around a bit, then it cleared up and you could tell it looks a bit better to bat on. So I think day four, I mean, whoever turns up there and sees, you know, if there's clouds ahead, I think Australia will feel confident, whereas if it's nice and sunny, England will feel confident. Yeah, the forecast is a bit... It's pretty dry to about, say, 3 o'clock Leeds time. So that's probably about four hours of play. And you think if this whole bats ball goes according to plan, England would have wrapped up the test match. But um, so until 3 o'clock, the weather's is 
when I say gloomy, it's, it's meant to be cloudy, not really forecast for bright sunshine. So as on the evidence of what we've seen over the last couple of days, men, as, as you rightfully pointed out, if it is gloomy, we are going to get a bit of swing. We are going to get a bit of movement. And let's forget, it's only the new ball, which is five overs old. So yeah, I think it's it's a big chance for Australia. A lot of predictions out there and who's ahead. I think Australia's probably, you know, 60-40 in Australia's favour. I think chasing in the fourth innings, let alone be baseball, let alone home crowd, it's never easy. They might have done it against mere opposition in the past, but this is a high-quality Australian bowling lineup. It's an interesting point you raise. The the bookies have England overwhelming favourites. They're pretty short priced going into this day four. But I tend to agree with you that if we get a couple in that first half an hour, the tremors will go through England. And they just can't rely on Ben Stokes to bail them out of trouble every time. I mean, I know I'm asking for trouble and he'll, he'll probably hit 80 not out and win them the game. But, you know, if he doesn't score runs, I, I can see that, you know, taking the wind out of the sails. Yeah, and look, the other important person, I guess, is Joe Root. Um, but if, if you just look at Joe Root's record over, and uh, uh, look, he's one of the great test batsmen we've had. But whenever there's a bit of bounce in the wicket, we've seen he's never got a test 100 in Australia. Um, he averages pretty well, but in South Africa, I think he's only got one or two hundreds. And this Headingley little pitch is quite quick, and especially against the new ball, if Australia can get him in early, he's prone to nicking off, as we saw in that on day two, where you know it's probably a bit of an innocuous ball from Pat Cummins. But you know, Joe Root played these little favourite little dab down to third man and got the outside edge. That shot probably yields him maybe four runs in the first two test matches, but this pitch is different. And I think this is why Australia is going to be, you know, slightly ahead. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, Harry Brook at three, uh, I think he's going to be an important player, um, but, you know, big pressure on Bairstow, Moen Ali. And we've seen Chris Wokes who can handle the bat, but, you know, Australia is probably going to go short. So, I think that short ball theory is going to be quite interesting. I'm sure we're going to see it sometime on day day four. Uh, but I still think Australia had the edge over England. I guess as well, England are playing one less batter. They've got Ollie Robinson carrying an injury at 11. He'll probably bat at 11 because he can't run very well. Ben Stokes didn't look fit in the first innings. He looked a little bit slow in the field. So England are hampered, and it's up to Australia, I guess, to, to make the early inroads in that first session so that they can put the pressure on the middle order. Uh, let, let's look at day three. So a, a delayed start. They didn't get out there till after tea. Then they played one over before the rain came again. Um, Australia resumed at four for 118. They scored two runs. Then they went off and then they came back out for an extended last session. And, and it really was England's session with the ball. Mitchell Marsh was out for 28, caught by Bairstow off Chris Wokes. Uh, Carey was bowled by Wokes for five. Both of them leaving the ball. Marsh uh, went to leave it and found the edge, and Carey went to leave it and clipped it onto the stumps. And, and two really big wickets there for England to start things off. Yeah, and there's also an example of... of you know, if you're slightly off with your decision-making, because the pitch ball is slightly zipping through um, compared to the first two pitches, you, you see those types of dismissals. If you're fraction late with your decision-making and the ball's already onto you, as we rightfully you pointed out with Mitch Marsh and Alex Carey. So good examples there. 
Um, and, and I think, look, I you have to marvel someone like Travis Head. And, and yes, he hasn't gone on to make a big score. And when I say that, 100, we saw him how proficient he was in the World Test Championship. But I think that's the maturity of Travis Head on... I think he just knows when to play the big shots. Um, and, and I just value his 77. I think it's going to be crucial. I think we know how good Mitch Marsh was in the first innings, but just the way he rallied around you know, the lower order, I think it was fascinating batting by Travis Head. I think he might have just done that innings of 77, might have just won Australia the Ashes, Manners. Well, I would love to think so because you're right. It was absolutely vital. Uh, so Carey goes to score six for 139, and that's when – um, Travis had put the foot down and, you know, he only he put on a 30, 39 with um, he put on Stark. 29 with Stark and then yep. Cummins went quickly. But then the real partnership was with uh, Todd Murphy. They put on 41 um, to get that score up above 200 and get the target close to 250. Stark scored a nice 16. Murphy made 11 in partnership with Head, but Head hit three sixes, several boundaries. And he, he spoke after play to the media that he's actually finding a pull shot on this tour that uh, because England are bowling so, so short to him, he said to uh, Michael Divinuto that he'd you know, really like to leave England with a pull shot. And uh, we saw that in, in fine style. He found the boundary with regularity. And despite England bowling well, uh, you know, he had got that lead up to 250, meaning England need 251. And as you say, that that might be a vital passage of play for Australia. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's quite, you know, listening to that um, conversation yeah, with the press, of course, um, yeah, Travis had, you know, uh, and just the way England have bowled, I think the mistake England have made is, is they've become far too uh, you know, one-dimensional against Travis Head. They feel that's the only way they're going to get him out um, while, instead of nicking him off to slip. And the other mistake I think England have made throughout the Test Series is not playing Chris Wokes. I know I know you're a big fan of Ollie Robinson at the minute, but, <laughs> but look, I think I would have played Chris Wokes. Um, I think he's a fabulous cricketer. Um, and and it's, it's look, I mean, you know, the fact that Ollie Robinson's injured um, and couldn't bowl, I think it made more sense for... Chris Wokes to take that new ball as well. I think he's a great new bowler. So, uh, look, I think England have been a little bit more poised with having Chris Wokes in that. I think he's, you know, three or four uh, Ks an hour quicker than Ollie Robinson as well. Um, And and I think he does things. I think he's a more clever bowler than uh, Ollie Robinson. He's also more. uh, And I I think his spell yesterday was fabulous again, as it was on day one and two. Um, But I think he's going to be crucial. But, yeah, full credit to Travis Head. I think... Those two little crucial partnerships, um, as you mentioned, 41 with Todd Murphy, I think that's going to be valuable. Now, look, it's just great, isn't it, test cricket? Like, And, and I think Headingley is going to be packed on that Sunday. Um, I think the whole Headingley result from four years ago, and Pat Cummins spoke about this leading into just after the Lord's Test and how it helped him with his captaincy, and it, he ensured that they didn't panic. I think that's in Australia's favour as well. I think they probably want to make England panic. Um, and we've seen that in England, their way of getting out of panic situations to hit out. But if you've got boundary uh, riders, which I think Pat Cummins will put out there, I think England might buckle under pressure. So I, I, that's why I'm leaning slightly towards Australia. Um, look, but, you know, likes of Joe Root, Harry Brook, Johnny Bairstow, uh, we know what Ben Stokes can do, but oh, look, I think it's just going to be a riveting. Um, mm. 
lot, lot of mind games to be played as well. Absolutely. I want to touch on a few things you've said there. On the bowling attack of England, uh, Stuart Broad took three for 45, Chris Wokes three for 68, and Wood two for 66, and Moeen Ali two big wickets, two for 34. Um, as you say, I think Wokes added a lot to the attack. Even, um, you know, you could see Anderson was a bit short of a gallop in those first two test matches, and Wokes prov- provided a similar role, but did it much better than Anderson did in the series so far. What I want to ask you a little bit about Australia's batting in the second innings. Um, we'll start with Labashain and Smith. What did you make of their dismissals? I thought, in particular, Marnus's was very out of character. It was out of character, and it feels like Marnus is looking at the scoreboard now because he seemed to hang around for a long time, but he wants runs. It's a sign of a person where a composed or a, a Marnus Labashain who's scoring runs probably does play that shot as well. Um, but here it just feels like that was his opportunity to, you know, score some runs. It almost looked like he's peeking at the scorecard, knowing he just wants runs under his belt. And he and the fact that he's been getting out, when I say cheaply, it hasn't been for zero and three. It's been, you know, he's gone into double figures. So I think it was a shot that that was brought about because of trying to get those extra bit of runs. And when he looked at the scoreboards, he has like nice 25, 35 under belt. Um, and I think England bowled superbly. Let's not take away. I think how England bowled that um, on day two was the best that England's probably bowled in the series. I mean, mm. I think it was 45, run, uh, 45 overs they bowled and Australia scored at about two and a half runs and over. Um, and we know how quick the outfield is, that the fielding wasn't overly defensive. Um, so, I, I mean, full credit, I, I think. But, yeah, I think Manus, just for the first time, you know, he's still learning his trade. He. You know, he's tried those trigger movements. We get hear about how much he's hard he's practicing in the nets. But if it's not working out, um, it puts doubt in a lot of people's mind. And I thought that dismissal. And sometimes things don't go your way. And let's be let's be clear. Manus Labashain in his, you know, 30-odd test matches for Australia has had plenty of luck. We knew, you know, caught off mm. a no-ball cup times. He's been dropped three or four times and on his way to 100. So sometimes... You know, the luck goes against you and maybe it's catching up to Manus. But I think the shot was just played in the in the, in the way that he felt that he needs runs on the board rather than trying to just hang in there uh, because he doesn't have the confidence that if he hangs in there, the runs have come and they haven't in this series. Yeah, it's a shame because I thought he and Kawaja had England at their mercy then and it opened up the middle order. Steve Smith had a pretty quiet 100th test match. He, he also got a bit of a send-off from Bairstow. I don't know if you saw it, but yeah. when uh, Smith hit it to mid-wicket, Johnny Bairstow said, see you, Smudge, and that Smudge did not like that and uh, bit back a little bit to ask Bairstow what he said. I don't think there was much in it. I think a, a see you later is pretty common in cricket. Um it's certainly not to the extent that Robinson gave it to Kawaja. But, yeah, disappointing 100th test match for Smith. But, uh, you know, we should take time. You know, I know the English crowd didn't, but, you know, he, you know, his 100 test matches have been phenomenal to watch. Oh, look, he's enormous. He's going to be one of the greats. He probably is already one of the greats. But let, who knows? With multiple formats coming in, if, if Steve Smith would go to World Cup in India in sort of a you know, couple of months' time, uh, but after that, if he just sticks to test cricket, who knows? He's only 32, 33. Uh, I think he is, um, might go for another three years. You, you never know. And if he's just focusing on one format, good luck to others trying to get him out. It's just the reflexes might slow him down. Uh, but look, 
uh, it was just one of those shots. I, I, it reminded me of something he did on that final test match against India at the Gabba, where I think Washington sent a pretty innocuous delivery around the wicket, and he was a half volley that he hit straight to mid wicket. It pretty much exactly what he did to. Moen Ali, it was interesting listening to Moen Ali's interview uh, with TMS that he basically, the ball before he felt like Steve Smith was going to play that shot and he sort of just, sometimes you go with that gut feel that he's looking for that shot and he sort of maybe pitched it up a little bit fuller and Smith wasn't able to get. So maybe a little bit of credit to Moen Ali as well. Uh, but look, disappointing 100 test match for Steve Smith. Uh, but look, in the first innings, I think he could, got a pretty decent delivery. Um, and look, England have focused a lot of their energy on Steve Smith. He's not what he was four years ago. He's probably at his absolute prime. Um, but now, you know, little mistakes and probably gets out. I don't think he's, you know, that back and across movement. And I think little blunders in his game uh, are costing him while they probably didn't as much. And it could be just father time catching up manners. But mm. look, he's going to be huge, I think, on day four with the tactics and we know how influential he's been in this test match and throughout the series discussing tactics with Pat Cummins. And what I've really appreciated about Steve Smith is he's put himself as a fielder in those hot spots, you know, where the catches have gone and he's managed to, you know, take some fantastic catch. And I think his fielding, his assistance to Pat Cummins is going to be vital on day four as well. I agree. And talking about Australia's short ball tactic, um, I'm just curious your view on this. I thought Australia in the first innings, they actually had England at their mercy and then Wood come, came out and they went short to him straight away and it, it opened the game up a bit. Do you think there's a bit of merit in when the England tail comes out, playing a bit more conventional cricket, get your slips in your gully. You can still have a short leg and a leg gully and bowl the odd short one, but I feel we're being sucked into their game a little bit and it cost a lot of runs in the first innings, could come back to haunt Australia on day four when they're chasing. So, you know, where do you sit on that bowling to the tail? I'm totally for it. I, I think they need to do it. I think it's just got to be a little bit wise about it. Um, if you think uh, England, I, I think there was some statistic going around their top order that attempted the shot and it's led to 17 dismissals in this series. So it's clearly working. Um I mean, yes, Ben Stokes did get 155, but let's face it, it was that tactic that got Ben Stokes out and eventually got Australia to win the match. Um, yes, Mark Wood unleashed, you know, 24 of eight balls. and But look, at the end of the day, Pat Cummins said on day three that we would have taken that 25-26 run lead at any time. So if, if you look at what the players have been saying, it's working out that statistics will prove that it's, you know, England are falling to the trap from from Jeff Boycott to Michael Vaughan to Nasser Hussain have always uh, continuously said that they it, it's stupid cricket. So clearly, I mean, somewhere, and with the series still 2-0 in Australia's favour, the tactic has worked. I mean, it, look, if Australia come out on day four, try it, and England go on to win this match, they might have to reconsider it. But it's a little bit like a John, Johnny Bairstow wicket-keeping. If Johnny Bairstow comes out and makes 70 not out today, you'd think, unlikely they're going to pick Ben Folks for as a keeper because they mm. want Besto to score runs. And if he gets England across the line, well, good on him. Uh, but if he doesn't, then there's going to be question marks. So right now I think Australia's got it entitled to use those short ball tactics because I think the results are going in their favour. Yeah. 
Well, let's see. And just one more on Australia's batting effort. I mean, I just think you have to marvel at Mitch Marsh's return. If you'd said to anyone before this test match when Cameron Green wasn't available that Marsh would score 118 and 28, you'd have you'd have fallen off your chair. But that was a phenomenal effort. Even that 28, you know, is is vital because Australia needed some quick runs. And, yeah, I'm just surprised at how he was able to come out in that first innings and dominate the England attack like we haven't seen any other Australian batter, maybe apart from Travis Head at Lords for a little while. And, you know, it puts the selectors in a very difficult position going into the next test match. Do they bring Cameron Green in? And some have suggested uh, fiddle with the top order and maybe give Warner a rest. Or do does Green now have to bide his time? Well, back to Mitch Marsh, I think it's just a confidence. I think when you have, you know, we've seen it in different sports, when you have nothing to lose, it's, and Mitch Marsh probably in that situation. And he talked about, you know, Pat Cummins telling him, basically, if you want to go and hit that first ball for six, then go and do it. And he said, well, I was never going to do it, but that's the confidence. And I think he came out of that mind frame. And you can tell how high his adrenaline was running. Mark Wood coming in at 95, 96 miles an hour. And you look at Mitch's March's eyes. I've never seen them so wide open <laughs> while he was batting. Um, and, and and I think the adrenaline took over. And sometimes that's the best way to play fast bowling. And and I think he, you know, yes, there was a missed chance. But because they took, a lot of the commentators, a lot of the players talk about positive intent. And I think he was. And, you know, he's, but he was also mindful. He left a lot of balls as well. Uh, but I think England just fell into the trap. They they were almost fearing his sort of, um, you know, counter-attack and almost felt, you, know, you could almost feel likes of even Mark Wood just going, oh, hang on, if I get it marginally wrong, he's going to hammer me here. And in full credit to Mitch Marsh, once you get into the bowler's head, you're going to make some, you know, you're going to make runs. And yes, I thought he played pretty well in the second innings as well. Don't forget Mitch Marsh is, you know, you got an important wicket of Zach Crawley on that second evening as or first uh, evening as well. Minutes, mm. uh, Crawley was looking really good, and he managed to get him out. And don't put it past Mitch Marsh to nibble a few around on. Uh, you know, especially if it's overcast, he could nick off. I think personally, I think I think he has a lot to do with you know his exceptional bowling in England. We saw that last time he played, two thousand nineteen, picking up five wickets. I think it was at the Oval. So true. I think he has a lot to offer. Because he can skid the ball on. He he offers something different. Like he, yeah. he comes from a lower trajectory. He, he yeah. cuts it a little bit and it, you know, could skin on and pin them LBW. Yeah. And, it, you know, I think there was a summer back in 2017. I think Darren Lehman was coaching. There was a lot of work done uh, with his wrist action. And you see him come really close uh, to the uh, – the stumps now as well. I think that's one advantage. I think uh, if you look at the Australian bowlers, they bowl a little bit, you know, a lot more closer to the stumps than the English bowlers. And I, I think, you know, he creates that doubt. So I think Mitch Marsh, we haven't heard the last of him as yet. Um, we'll probably feel, see him fielding on the outfield minutes and maybe he'll catch Ben Stokes at deep mid wicket that <laughs> wins Australia the Ashes. So Wouldn't look that forward sweet? to that. I think Mitch Marsh has got a bit of a role to play on day four as well. Maybe nibbling, maybe nibbling your favourite player, Johnny Besto, out. And then uh, there was a little passage of play uh, where England batted up to stumps. They were none for 27 off five overs. Ben Duckett's 18, not out. Crawley, nine, not out. 
Cummins two overs, none for 17, was a little bit expensive. Usually it's Mitchell Stark that maybe goes for a few. I guess one notable thing that happened in that little period was that Australia wasted one of their reviews. There was a, uh, a flick by Duckett down leg side that missed the bat. Kerry thought he heard something. He sent it upstairs and uh, it didn't hit the bat, didn't hit anything, so I'm not sure what Carey heard. And then next ball, Duncan just edged one uh, just short of slip. So there was some half chances in that little period, but as I said, the sun was out and Gav England looked pretty good. Yeah, but a couple of balls for Mitch uh, Stark, I think they just took off a little bit, I think, with that second new ball. Uh, sorry, the, the new ball on, on the fourth morning is going to be crucial. Um, mm. And what we have seen, men, is, 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 you know, sometimes if you look at England, they, they've gone hammer and tongs against the brand new ball. Um, and then it's, again, when it's around sort of that 15 to 20 over mark, when it starts swinging a little bit, they've had to sort of bring it back. And that's when someone like, a, you know, a, a Mitch Marsh might come into the picture. So this has been England's tactics right from the outset. that they, they feel like these balls, brand new balls, haven't swung that much. Duke balls... Uh, tenderly starts swinging maybe a little bit later on when the lacquer comes off, 15 over mark, and England's tactics have been to get to 60, 70 quick runs. And it's going to be fascinating. I think they'll come hard at Australia again, uh, especially someone like a Zach Crawley, because that's what he's been given. He's, he's given the license. We've heard stories about Brendan McCullum saying, you're playing five test matches and you're just going to put Australia under pressure. So... He's going to come out and look. If England get off to another, you know, 30, 40 runs in a quick manner, then suddenly, you know, Australia's going to be under the pressure. So it's going to be fascinating. What do you think, think of Murphy? What, what do you think Murphy can do? Because look, yeah. I I think he's he's just going to play the bit of a holding role. I think England are probably. I think Pat Cummins was really smart by bowling Murphy when the two left-handers were in the other day against Ben Stokes and Moen Ali. So he definitely has a role to play. Um, I think he might just get milked around. That's, that's you know, if I was England, I would look to milk him around rather than go after him. Uh, but look, the good thing about Murphy is I think he's more quickish through the air than Nathan Lyon and mm. he bolts at the stump. So if England are going to play the reverse sweep and the sweep and the paddle sweep, I think he's well and truly in the game. I think he's going to take at least a wicket or two. Interesting. Okay. Well, um, want to wrap this up. Um, just, I don't know if you heard this story that happened uh, in the last couple of days. I'm calling it Haircut Gate. Uh, Sir <laughs> Alastair Cook made some allegations on BBC that uh, Alex Carey went in for a haircut, I think when they were in London, and left without paying. And uh, he said that on, I think, TMS. And then it has since come out that those allegations were false. Uh, it was Jimmy Pearson who went for a haircut, one of the Australian reserve wicketkeepers. And he alleges that he paid via international transfer on the spot and that, you know, obviously those transfers take a couple of days to get in and he was going to go back and show the the said hairdresser the um, receipt. Now, firstly, they're saying it was a 57-pound haircut. So, geez, that's, that's a lot for a bit of a trim back of your back and sides, short back and sides. And, um, yeah, funny little story. I don't know if you remember, Gavin, 2017-18 when England were here, there was that story of Bairstow headbutting Bancroft yep. that came out. And it feels to me like there was a bit of that going on here where uh, Cook's heard something and thought, I'm just going to drum this up in the same manner that that headbutt was. Yeah, I, I think Australian players should be given 
cash in hand, shouldn't they? Be, their tour allowance must be going on cards these days. The oh, damn, time, yeah. Yeah, the old timers would say we got, you know, a nice envelope with 100 pounds. We can do whatever we want with no worries about cards, but clearly that's changed. But look, I mean, I don't think Alex Carey's had a haircut. So clearly it was Jimmy Pearson. I mean, a lot of photos circulating. Uh, but oh, yes, I, I think you might be right. Maybe, you know, X players putting pressure on. We see it happen in, in, in the media scope of things, especially more and more. Um, so maybe Alistair Cook, who's sitting up and doing. Some commentary for the BBC, of course. Uh, maybe he just wanted to get it out there. But I think he's a pretty honest man. Um, l- just listen to that conversation, the haircut. He wasn't actually sure which Australian player it was. Um, he, he basically said, oh, yeah. And I think words might have been put into his mouth. He said, oh, was it Alex? Was it Alex? Remember, it was just after London. Mm. And um, he was only, just stirring the pot a bit, and yeah, I think the only name which would have been on the back pa- papers for two days in England would have been Alex Carey. So maybe the poor haircut fellow maybe thought, <laughs> "Yep, that's him." <laughs> anyway, nice little bit of play off the field. Uh, well, Gav, thank you for joining me for this wrap of day three. Where can the listeners uh, catch up with your work? I've been just a bit of on the writing for different websites, manners, but mostly I'm staying in and listening to your podcast in this series. I've been a little bit off air, but as the summer comes around, I'm sure we'll be sharing a commentary box and doing more commentary. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Gav. It's been great talking to you and we'll be back soon. This is a Piccolo podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.